chapter 12. We did have a great time yesterday if you were out with us. And uh, many people came up to me and they said, Jeff, why aren't you playing? To which I quickly respond, because I wouldn't be here right now. <laughs> so that means that I'd be calling one of you like early in the morning saying, I hope you had a really good quiet time because you're preaching today. So anyway, that's why I don't play. It's a little too risky. Um, actually, I'm a, a terrible, terrible basketball player. So I do other things. I do not play basketball. So anyway, uh, Mark chapter 12, we'll get there in just a moment. You know, the, uh, the, the topic that we're talking about this fall is being devoted to God. And we're trying to come at that from a bunch of different angles because your relationship with God, although we can say it's simple, just love God, right? That would be a very uh, simplistic way to put it. But we know that that can be a little complicated. Now, if, if loving somebody that we can see is at times a little challenging, there's even greater challenges with loving God. So we're trying to come at this with a bunch of different angles. We'll do the same thing here uh, this week. Last week, Joel Espada, our campus minister, uh, preached about being devoted to the comeback. And uh, it was great. He talked about those times that, that we find ourselves distant from God. I know that happens with you. It's happened with me. We all go through that. Distant from God due to setbacks. And setbacks come pretty much on a regular basis. Every day, there's something. It can be as, as simple as, you know, extra traffic, and it just frustrates you when you, you miss an appointment or whatever. And, you know, so those things are just part of life. We've all been there. But when, when that happens, then we need to make a decision. I'm not going to let this impede or interfere with my relationship with God. I'm going to keep pursuing God, and even more so. We don't always do that, but that's what we should be saying. And the, the, the mindset that we should have is, whatever it takes, I'll be close to God. I'm going, to, I'm going to rise above that setback, and I'm going to get myself back into that fellowship with God, that place that I know I need to be. So I thought I did a fantastic job with it, opening up our eyes and our ears to that, to that process. And, uh, you know, it's great to see Joel and Lolly on our ministry staff here. We appreciate what they do. This is them from last night. Isn't that wonderful? This shows how much Lolly loves Joel. It's great. I appreciate that. He's all smiles and grins, and uh, he did a great job last night. I guess they're playing basketball as well. Okay, back to what we need to talk about. But I especially liked his last point, where he said, where there is no God, there is no comeback. You know, through Christ, God has, has given us an open invitation to be able to engage in a relationship with the almighty creator of all things, the creator of the universe. I mean, we're glad when somebody just wants to be our friend here on earth, right? But God says, look, I, I'm inviting you. I'm, I'm bringing you in. I want you to be close to me and have that relationship with me. What does that even mean? What is it? according to the message last week, that we're, we're coming back into? Or what is it that we are, are, are trying to, to come into maybe in the first place? Maybe you're, you're new here and you're like, okay, I'm not trying to come back. I'm just trying to make the initial step. So what is it that you're stepping into? Or maybe you've been here for a number of years and you feel like, okay, now I've never really left God, so it's not like you know, I'm coming back, but, but how do I stay devoted then into that relationship? What is this relationship? What is the relationship with God? Now, I think I know what that is. And I suspect that you think you know what that is. And I'm not saying for a moment that, that you don't know what that is. You might very well know exactly what that is. 
But I want you to be open to the, the possibility that you might be missing something in your understanding of what it means to have a relationship with God. Because none of us are perfect with everything. I know I, I miss all the time having a relationship with my wife and my kids. Like, I think I know what it is, especially with the kids. Florence will say, you know what? You need, to, you need to call them back. You need to say this to Taylor. You need to say this to Fiona. You need to say this with Jonathan. Because what I think is a really good relationship, like I'm doing all the right things, oftentimes I, I'm not. And so same with God. We may think we know what a relationship with God is, but be open to the idea that you might be off in a few key areas. And maybe we'll try to get to them today. You might be missing something. I know in my mind what it means to have a relationship with God. But I also know that my heart isn't always in the right place with that. Now, I'm not saying that my heart is in a bad place with that. It just might not always be where it needs to be to further and develop a relationship with God. You see, I can tell you all the things that you should do to have a relationship with God. I can walk through the checklist as well, or maybe even better than, than some. You should read your Bible. You should pray. You should come to service. Not just Sunday. Come to midweek. Come to family group. Make your discipling time. You should give your contribution. You should save for missions contribution. You should come to, to all the extra things we do. You should be nice to your neighbor. You should love your husband, love your wife. I mean, look, that list could go on forever. Is that a bad list? No, that's a really good list. I, I think those are the things that we should be doing. But do they tell the whole story? I mean, if you can effectively check off every single thing I prayed, read, went, talked, you know, whatever it might be. Okay, at the bottom line, does that all, the sum of all that equals good relationship with God? Not necessarily. They're, they're, they're good things to do, but I think it doesn't really tell the whole story. Could there be something missing? There's no such thing as a one-sided relationship. Just by the very nature definition of the word, it's, it's two things, at least two things, two or more things coming together. They have a symbiotic relationship or, or uh, uh, attachment with each other. Can't define something by the word. So it's got, it, they, they're, they're connected to each other. One helps the other. If they, if they don't, then you don't have a relationship. Both parties have to give. That's what makes for a great marriage. That's what makes for a great partnership. I was watching the game yesterday. It was awesome watching the, the, guys, the, the guys and the women all collectively playing basketball together. And there was one point where... The uh, Joel's team, Joel, you're on the, what team were you on? The blue team, yes, that's right, go blue, yeah. So there was one point where the, uh, I think it was against the green team, and Joel comes up behind somebody, and he snatches the ball, he steals the ball. I mean, it was like, a, it was a great play. He steals the ball, he's driving down to, to, to make a layup, but he misses the layup. Okay, everybody misses the layup. But the, the moment he stole that ball, I noticed that Greg Alicia was on his tail. Greg's his teammate, right? So he's right behind him. Joel misses the, 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 the layup. Greg, like in a second, gets the rebound, puts it right in. They're like high-fiving each other. I'm thinking like, that's a relationship. I mean, they're like, they're working together. They've got the same goal. Okay, one might mess up, but, but the other one's right there to figure out how to make it work. It was, it was textbook. Not that I would know, but I thought it was really good. <laughs> but when I look at my relationship with God, I'll tell you, my issue is not so much 
getting a grasp on how much God loves me. Now, I, I, I probably miss a lot, but I think, in my weakness of mind, I think I, I know how much God loves me. I can look back. And I can say, here's my life before I was a Christian. Here's the immorality. Here's the substance abuse. Here's the lying. Here's the cheating. Here's the, here's the way I was. Here's the you know, mean things I did to people. You know, I, I can look back and say, oh, my gosh, look at how great God is. Look at how much God loves me. God has blessed me. God has pulled me out of that. Amen. I'm so thankful for that. Then I look at what God has given me. You know, an amazing wife for 34 years, three kids that are disciples, two grandkids, a great church. I mean, it's like that list could just go on forever. And I could look at all of that and say, I attribute every one of those things to, to God loving me. And so I think, again, in the weakness of my mind, that I do understand God's love for me. Where I need work is keeping in the forefront of everything I do that I love God. I get that God loves me. How much do I love God? How much do I really love God? My question is also to myself, how much do I love God versus how much do I love this, this fellowship? Now, there's a fine line here, so, so stay with me. I, I love the fellowship. I love the church. I love everything about the church. I love everything about my life in Christ. I love my moral position. I love the integrity that God has taught me. I certainly didn't have it as a non-Christian. I love the fellowship, my marriage. I, mean, I, I love all the things that I have in Christ. But I wonder when I look at, okay, how much, how much do I love God versus how much do I love all of this? And I think a way you can, you can picture this, this would be like somebody who loves being married or the idea of being in a marriage more than they actually love the person that they're married to. Maybe that puts it in a term that you can understand. So do I, do I love what God has given me more than I actually love the God that gave it to me? Or do I love God first above all things and then I appreciate what God has given me and that develops into a love? It's a very fine line for me, but one that I think we should talk about, because I think with some people, the line might not be quite so fine. It actually might be pretty fat. You're all about this, and you love the church, and you love the fellowship, and, and you're not going to miss anything. You know why? Because this is where your best friends are. And you love the life, and you love the fact that, you know, you can trust each other, and you love the fact that, hey, everybody, you know, we all get along well, and, and we have fun together. And so, man, you know, coming to church is, is easy for you. You're, you're, you're all about it. But maybe you're not all about God. You're all about this. And that's not to take anything away from what we have here, because it's great. But the, the church didn't save you. God saved you. Now, again, here's the fine line. The church was engaged in that. God used people. All right, I get that. God used, you know, Bob, Jim, Sue, Sally, Pam, whoever, you know, to, to study the Bible. Okay, so, you know, that person was, was being used. But that person didn't save you. The Bible didn't save you. The fellowship. It's, it's the grace of God that saved you. That's where the primary relationship should be. You know, Florence often tells me, 
And, uh, well, I'll get to that in a second. I'll, I'll talk about it for a second. Since, since we're on the topic of marriage, let me tell you a little bit about our marriage. Because it's, it's great. Florence is an amazing, amazing wife. She, her, her love for me pours out. I mean, like, literally, it is a, a, a broken valve. You ever have, like, a broken valve in your house? Like, oh, this didn't ring off. And I, I've had a few. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a good thing. But in this case, it's really good. I never question. I never doubt. I never have to wonder. I never have to assume. It's always there. It's literally not nonstop. She tells me constantly, I love you, I love you, I love you. It's like all day long, which is a really good thing. <laughs> me, however, I'm not quite like that. I'm not the same way. Even though I have love for Florence and I do love her deeply, it's, it's harder for me sometimes to feel it. Sometimes it's harder for me to show it. Now, there's all kinds of psychological reasons for that and, and environmental reasons for that growing up. And, you know, I suspect I'm not the only one. But, you know, for me, it's just, it's just not as easy. Now, in our relationship, it's totally on me because she's the opposite. She is just gushing with love for me. So if there's any kind of a little breakdown in our marriage, which there, there isn't, but if there, if there, it would, 99.9% it's going to be on me. There's, there's nobody in this universe that I love more than Florence. So again, it's, it's totally on me. There's nobody in this universe that I would rather spend time with than, than with her. I believe that with all my heart. But love in general is a little bit challenging for me to wrap my arms around. It's just, it's, it's like, it's not my, it's not my native language. I really have to, I have to work on it. As much, look, as much as I need to work on it between Florence and I and, 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 and not just think, oh, well, she, she knows I love her, but like really making those steps. I think it's also in my relationship with God. I mean, why would it be in one area and not the other if it's, if it's something in my character? Typically, when you've got a weakness of character, doesn't it come through in everything else? It's like you're not like stellar in one area and then like abysmal in the other. You know, usually it's kind of like there's this, there's this thread that runs through every part of your life. You're, you're this, whatever this might be, in, in whatever it is that you do. So if this is something where I recognize in my own marriage, like, wow, I'm not like great at, at really pouring out my love to her. Maybe, and this is what got me thinking, maybe I'm not that great at pouring out my love for God either, as much as I love all this other stuff that, that God has given me. How much do I really love God? How do I even measure that? Like, is there some kind of barometer, is there some kind of chart, like, okay, like, here I am, Doc, you know, like, what's my, what's my God love level here? It doesn't quite work that way. But I've got to really figure this out. What is God looking for? What does he expect from me? Let me show you a couple of scriptures. This is in Mark 12, and we're going to begin here in verse 28. I'll try to move along here. I'm talking a lot. In verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Isn't that the question we want to answer? Look, of all the stuff that, that surrounds my Christian life, what is the most important? What do I do? How should I be? 
But look at the reply from Jesus. And uh, well, actually, I just read that. There it is, right there. Look at the uh, the reply from Jesus. And uh, and this is going to begin in verse twenty nine. The most important one, Jesus answered, is this: Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is this: Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. According to Jesus, the most important thing we do is love. However important we think everything else is, that, that is the bottom line. And you already knew that. So then what do we do? The real question is, how do we do it? Well, you say, well, it's easy. I know the answer to that. This is my first time here. Because it's right there in the Bible. I can see it very clearly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your all your mind, strength. And, and so if I do that, that's it. All right there. Well, you're right and you're wrong. You're right in that, yes, there it is. You're wrong in that it's not easy. This is what we got to work on. This is what I got to work on. How do we typically show love? We say, well, it's by your actions, right? Doesn't everybody say that? Your actions speak louder than words. You've said it, you've heard it a million times. I get that. But there's another question Are your actions always a clear and present indicator? Of your love. Just by what you do. Can we say, not necessarily. So let's say for a moment that you're in a close relationship with somebody. It can be a spouse. It can be a parent. It can be a child. It can even be a friend. A close friend. You do things for them to please them because you love them. That love is the motivation, right? It pushes you to do all those things. That works really well. As long as the emotion is there. And the love is present. Everybody's happy. But what happens when the emotion begins to weaken and it fades? Far too often, instead of addressing the weakness in the love, we, we increase the number of things that we're going to do. I just got to do more for him. I got to do, do more for her. I got to do more good things. In the hope that, that everything is going to be fine. I'll make up the loss by just doing more stuff. And therefore, they will know that I love them. But it never makes up for the lack of intimacy that, that, that has faded in that love relationship. Look, this is the classic story of, of the marriage where, where the couple drifts apart. And typically, in this type of story, it's the wife that comes forward and says, Honey, I just I don't feel like you love me anymore. You know, I, I feel distant. I just feel like we've, we've, we've grown apart. And the husband has that deer-in-the-headlight moment, right? He says, wait, what? You know, I don't know what you're talking about. Look at all I've done. I work 80 hours a week, and, and I bought you that, that new car, and, and I got you all that gifts, and, and, and you wanted some, some time with your friends, so I, I sent you away on a vacation with your friends for two weeks in, in Maui. And, you know, and like the list goes on and on and on. Look at all I've done. You're crazy. Of course I love you. Why would you think I don't love you? Doesn't all that prove that I love you? And the wife typically looks at the husband and says something like this. No. It proves that you do a lot of things. But it doesn't prove you love me. There's no passion. There's no intimacy. The emotion is missing. I want you more than your stuff. Florence often tells me, maybe she's told others, 
She says, you know, Jeff, I would live in a shoebox if I still had you. She said that a number of times. I hope she still feels that if we're actually living in a shoebox one day. <laughs> that's, that, that's going to be the real test. I'll say, honey, don't you remember what you said? <laughs> we'll see where that lands. Not sure. But God was in this very situation with the Israelites at, at so many times. When things were at their worst, this is how God felt. Let's see if I can find there it is. This is this is long. I'll read the whole thing. Um, Actually, I broke it up into two parts. Just follow along. Listen to what God says. This is when things were really, really bad between God and the Israelites. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations. I can't bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals. Look, I hate them with all my being. They become a burden to me. I'm very weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayers, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. That's very powerful. And here's the problem. The Israelites were self-deceived into thinking that by doing all the things, God must know that I love him. And they began with good intentions. But you know what? They became meaningless, heartless obligations after a while. And even as they were continuing, their hearts were slipping away. And, and, and like that frustrated wife, right? Like that frustrated wife, God was not pleased. I think that's putting it mildly in this case. But God was like, God finally got to the point where he said, enough. This is not a relationship. I don't care what you do. My heart is not with you. And your, your heart is not with me. This is, this is not good. When Jesus told those guys back in Mark 12 that the heart fully engaged was most important, they already knew it. And if you look at just a little bit in verse 32, this is the response from the teachers. Well, well said, teacher, the man replied. That's a nice thing to say to Jesus. Well said. Well said. You're right in saying that God is one and there's no one other than him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, that's more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that they had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. That was a smart move on their part. Jesus' reply to them is, now you're getting it. It's not the do, do, do. It's, it's something deeper inside. And the quote is from Deuteronomy 6. Now, if you were to go back, don't do it right now on your own. This is your homework. Go back and read through Deuteronomy 6. It's all about loving God. But then if you were to go to the next chapter, Deuteronomy 7, there's two verses, verse, nine, verse 7 and verse 9. And in both of those verses, God says, I'm initiating, I'm beginning a covenant of love with you. A covenant of love with you. And he says, this is going to extend to a thousand generations. That means that it's still in existence now. So there's a covenant of love that God has set up with you. It's, it's there. Covenant is a binding agreement. 
God set up our relationship with him to be an agreement built on a foundation of love. He will love us. Here's the deal. Okay, here's the agreement. He will love us and pour out his love to us unceasingly and without limits. You've experienced that already because that's the blood of Christ. But then he says, your end of the deal is to love me in the same way. With all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's a lot. If you're ever to break down those, and we've done those in sermons, do it on your own. Break them all down and see what they actually mean. And, what, and count the cost to, to what that would mean if you were doing it. That's what God is looking for. That's, that's the relationship. That can't be measured by what you do. What you do can be a reflection of that love and motivated by that love, but it can't be the love. That will never work. You will, you will, you will be a fake. You'll be a, you'll be a fake Christian if that's what's going on. If you lose that covenant of love and think by, by simply doing the right things, all is good, you're sadly mistaken. And you're really no better off than the Israelites that God had such an issue with back in Isaiah chapter 1. God wants your heart, just like he gave you his. So what are we to do? What is the proper response, attitude? What's the, what's the appropriate action to take? I think you'll know, and I think you'll have it, when you're able to, to, to write something that I'm about to read. Now, I'm going to read Psalm 116. It's not very long. I don't want you to turn there. I know you're already flipping because we're so conditioned that the moment you hear a scripture, even if it's one scripture, and it's going to be long gone by the time you get there, something in us says we need to turn there, which is good. Don't lose that. That's a good thing to do. But uh, I'm going to ask uh, Eric, I'm going to ask the singers to come on out here. I'm going to read, I'm going to read Psalm 116, and I, I just want you to listen to it because I'm going to read this in, in a, a different version than you probably have in your hands right now. But this is, I think, the attitude that would really indicate that, you know what? I really do love God. Not just the stuff. Not even just the people. But I understand the covenant of love. And I'm going to do my part. I love the Lord, for He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turns his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was, I was overcome by distress and sorrow. But then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, come and save me. The Lord, he's gracious, righteous. And my God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the brokenhearted. When I was brought low, He saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul. For the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in this land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I'm greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, Everyone's a liar. I can't trust anybody. 
what shall I do to return to the Lord for all his, his goodness to me? I know. I will lift up the cup of salvation. And I'll call on the name of the Lord and I'll fulfill all my vows to the Lord. Everything I said, I will do. I'll, I'll follow through in the presence of all of his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I'm your servant, Lord. You freed me from my chains. And I will sacrifice thanks and a thank offering to you. And I'll call on the name of the Lord. And I'll fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of his people. In the courtyard of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's go ahead and be making your way over to John chapter 1. Good morning. It's great to be out. Great to see everybody. We had a couple of weeks off. Last week was the snow day that wasn't, so I apologize for that. I'm sitting there in my house thinking, all right, I, call, I canceled church the night before because this big snowstorm is coming, and it's 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, no snow, people are angry, but you had a day to do whatever you needed to do, so amen for that. That was... That was good. It, was good. It, all, it, all, it all works out. It's all great. All right, question. How many of you like to read books or listen to podcasts or don't do either one? Shame on you. <laughs> if you're the don't do either one, shame on you. Why do we do that? Why do we, why do we like to read books? Why do we listen to podcasts? Because it feeds the brain. We like to learn. And then God wove that into us, that we, we, we enjoy learning new things and experiences and, and whatnot. It's a, it's a great thing. But it also feeds the soul. So it engages your mind, but we grow so much when we read or we listen to a podcast or we get some kind of teaching that comes into our, our hearts. A few weeks ago, we talked about listening to and listening for the voice of God and, you know, God speak to us, speaks to us in so many different ways. We hear God speaking to us through life experiences. We hear God speaking to us through conversations we have with each other. We hear God speaking to us just through nature. I mean, you can be just walking along the seashore and just feel like, man, I'm just feeling the presence of God. You can be out walking through the forest. You can be wherever. And then God makes his word known. God makes his presence known to us in so many really inspiring and very unique ways. It's a great experience. But God also speaks to us through his word. But what does that mean? What is God actually saying to us? I mean, when you think about it, here's the, the creator of the universe is communicating with you directly through his word. What does he have to say? You know, we talked also a few weeks ago about the Bible being the story of God. It's God revealing himself. It's God revealing all that he has created. It's God's story. The Bible isn't necessarily a reference tool. We like to use it as a reference tool, right? And so we've carefully divided the Bible up into books and chapters in verses. And so oftentimes our Bible study is parsing random verses here and there. 
and putting them together to say something that perhaps we wanted to say that maybe it doesn't necessarily intend to say. But the Bible is really not just a, it's a re, not just a reference tool. It's okay to use it as a reference tool. I like to reference things in the Bible. We all do if we're struggling with something. Let me see what the Bible says about this. So I think there is a certain degree of merit to that. That's fine. But it's much more than that. The Bible, the Word of God, is a narrative. It's, it's God telling the story. How everything that we know came to be. The solar system, you know, the galaxies, our planet, the oceans, the animals, the forest, everything that we understand, everything that we can possibly conceive as being anything, anywhere, anytime, the Bible tells that story in a very interesting and a very unique way. How all the, how all the pieces of everything fit together. Because our lives are very complex. The universe is very complex. The world is very complex. The ecosystems, everything, they're very complex. And so the Bible takes great care and great pains to show us how everything that God created all works together, that it all fits together. It was a perfect plan. But to me, the most amazing part of that story is where we fit in. How God worked us in to this amazing plan of everything that he's created. That's the most exciting part of the story. And I think that's really important to God. I think God loves everything he created. You know, but the Bible does say in Matthew 6 that we are the most important. Of all the creatures, of all the living things, God says, but are not you most important? And we are. God loves us. And God has a great plan for our lives. You know, if you look at the creation story in, in Genesis chapter 1, every time God made something, what did he say right after that? It was good, right? He makes all these different things, and it was good, and the plants, and it was good, and the animals, and it was good. But then he makes us. And what does he say after that? It was very good. It was very good. There's a reason why God said, you know, all the other things are really good. But, man, when I made, when I made you guys, that was very good. It's like going to a concert. You ever go to a concert, right? And so when you go to a concert, typically there's a warm-up band. And the warm-up band is usually pretty good. You know, otherwise they wouldn't be on the bill with the, with the main act. So you're sitting there and the you know, warm-up band is playing. You're like, wow, these guys are really good. This is good. But then the main act comes on. You're like, okay, wow, this is stellar. This is outstanding. This is why I came here. That was the main act. We're the main act of all God's creation. God says, you are the main act in this creation story. We generally look at Genesis 1 as being the beginning, right? Probably because it says, in the beginning, God. It's also the first book in the Bible. So logically, we say, well, that must be where everything begins, right? So you got Genesis. That's where it all started. But the truth is, there is a beginning before the beginning. That even predates creation. And it's found in John chapter 1, where you're hopefully queued up right now. And it has everything to do with the Word. So let's take a look at it. John 1, we're going to begin in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, but he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everything was coming into the world. And he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but they did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but but born of God. The word became flesh and made his, his dwelling in his home among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he he was before me. Out of his fullness, we've all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. If I had to find throughout all 66 books of the Bible, one short set of scriptures... One set of, of, of thoughts to sum up the story of God and all that God is, all that God has ever done, all that God ever will do. I'd be hard-pressed to find anything better than this. This is like the, it's like the trailer to the movie. If you just read that and, and nothing else, you'd be thinking, wow, there's some amazing story going on here. I don't know what it is, but I'm dying to find out. Isn't that what a good trailer is? Like, like so you watch that trailer, you're like, man i got to go see that movie. If I read this, I would think, i got to know this story. Who is he talking about? What is this word? What, what is this light, dark, you know, it's amazing right here. It's all right here. The story of God is in those few verses. Light, darkness, hope, grace, truth, salvation, and you, and me. We're right there in that story. We need to take a closer look at this. What is this word? It's used several times. You know, we we tend to think of the word, word, as a way of communicating thoughts, emotions, information. That's really good for us because we like information. We We love to look stuff up, right? My wife loves to look stuff up. Whenever we're sitting home and I mention anything, I mean literally anything, she immediately takes out that phone and boop, 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 she's looking it up. I mean, we just, but I think a lot of us are like that. 
and we live in the information age, right? So we are able to look anything up, you know, in, in seconds and get answers to whatever it is you want to know. It may not be the right answer, but you'll, you'll get an answer. If you look at Wikipedia, that's a little shaky, but, you know, we, we, can, we can find answers. But we love information. So what do we say oftentimes after something's been thrown out and you, you haven't gotten the answer? You say, what's the word, right? What's the word? Or maybe we say, well, the word on the street, you know. So like, we, just, we just like that notion of, of finding stuff out. But I think John's audience heard this a little differently. The English language has between 500,000 and a million words, depending on what you consider to be a word. That's why there's such a variance there. But, you know, on the low end, 500,000. On the high end, maybe a million, maybe even more. The Greek language, the Hebrew language had about 10,000 words. 10,000 words, a million words. The Greek language, kind of in between, they had maybe upwards of about 200,000 words that they used every day. So when you look back into the time of this writing, words were very, very precious. Words were held with high esteem, much more than they are right now. But back then, man, if you said something, it's like people listened. Because, again, in the Hebrew language, 10,000 words, I mean, you know, so it probably it meant something big. Words had a real living quality to them. Words meant action. And so I think when, when, when John first penned these words and those first hearers, you know, understood what was being said, when they heard this, it was action. It meant much more than information. You know what they thought when this was being, when this was being first penned? Oh, my gosh. God is doing something. God is moving. There is something earth-shattering, earth-shaking, universe-shattering about to happen. This was powerful. God was in motion. With God, words are far deeper than just information. Even deeper than emotion. With God, it's, it's about being. It's about being. I don't know how to define being. It, it's, it's one of these words when you use it in a spiritual context that kind of goes beyond definition. It's, it's the kind of thing where you just know if you're there, right? You just know if you're there. It's about being. It's being in this place. It's being in this presence. It's being in this zone, however you want to define it. It's just like, you know what? I know there's something, you know, out of my existence going on right now. It's about being. So when God speaks of the word, I believe it's about this, this being. Look at the scripture. This is awesome. This is in Isaiah 55, and uh, we're going to begin here in verse 10. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Isn't that a great verse? I think that's awesome. God was creating through his word. God was saying, you know, out of my word, out of my mouth, out of my being, you know, there's going to be something amazing. and It's not going to come back empty. It's going to be, it's going to flourish. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. God was creating through his word. And we're a part of that creation. I love this other scripture here. This, this kind of brings, I know it's a lot of words up there, but you can just listen or you can 
you can uh, turn to it. This is Acts 17, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he created all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him, we live and we move and we have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Great scripture. Through what God has spoken, however God speaks it, whether it's in his actions, whether it's in his word, whether it's in his thought, through, through that, we have our being. Now, let's go back to John chapter 1. Because I want to show you how this works. God, with the same attention to detail as we see here in these last two scriptures, lays everything out very clearly. John, John 1, we're going to parse this just a little bit. We're going to look back at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Who and what are we talking about here? Because it seems a little vague. Now, we're very familiar with the story, right? You've read this a gazillion times. So we look at it and we know exactly what he's talking about. We, we, we get that. But for them, the story was brand new. We've always got to remember that. We have the luxury of, you know, having like thousands of years of New Testament Bibles being around and, and having heard this type of thing, you know, for, for decades and lessons or however long you've been around. But, you know, this, this was the first time that these thoughts were being spread out into the world. The story was new. You know, it's like those first few pages of a book. You know, when you start a new book and, and you, you, you're kind of going through the first chapter or maybe the preface and you're just trying to get a picture in your mind. Okay, so what is this, what is this about? Where is this going? That's what this opening salvo of verses is. It's, it's God saying, let me just paint this little picture of what's going on here. It was all new. What were they thinking? What did they hear? In the beginning was the word. And the word, as you notice, the word word is capitalized. When do we do that? Well, if you remember from your middle school English class, right, it's for proper nouns, right? So if this wasn't a proper noun, it would just be a lowercase w, but it's an uppercase w, so it certainly is referring to a proper noun. There was more to this than just words, like what I'm doing right now, okay, or what you do in fellowship. It was more to it than that. The word used for word is logos. When used here, and this word logos has several different applications. If you go through the Bible and you see the way it's applied throughout the different parts of the word, it, it kind of means slightly different things. But if you were to go back and look, how was it used here? It's referring to the wisdom of God. Like God knew what to do, how things should be, when they should be. And God was, was creating in his mind. Again, this is like pre-creation, okay? So this is before... You know, there was anything made. God was, was conceiving in his mind how things ought to go. Let me get a picture of where this whole universe, earth, man, animals, plants, whatever structure, how this is all going to play out. 
God was speaking into existence all of creation that was to follow. And from the beginning, even before the beginning, God had a plan. And even before things got really crazy, and things did get a little crazy in God's plan, right? Even before things got crazy, God knew what he was going to do. I mean, how's that for being proactive? Right? So we, we like to think ahead a little bit. Yeah, I like to think I'm pretty good at thinking ahead. I think I'm pretty good at anticipating what might be coming down the line and having steps in place in case that were to happen. This is like light years ahead of that. <laughs> so God knew even before he created anything, there might be a problem with this at some point. So he, he, had, he had the plan. And it was even clear through this little opening set of scriptures that God wasn't alone. God was thinking in this in this plan ahead, I'm going to need some other agent to help take care of these things. The wisdom behind the plan was all about Jesus. And, you know, Paul sums this up really well. You know, look at a couple of verses right here. Um, and I might have to actually take this in two segments, so we'll do that. But if you look over in Colossians chapter 1, and uh, we're going to look in verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Paul is saying, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. That's all of us together, right? So he's the head of of us too. We know that that's a good thing. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, And were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and you don't move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard. It's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become servant. So now you go back to John. We'll look there in a second. God was going to, God was going to work all of this creation plan through Jesus. That's why he was here. John chapter 1, we pick up the story a little bit further into the narrative in verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's so much right here. Not only did God create all things through Christ that we can appreciate when we're out and about, but he also created us through Christ. And if you're familiar with that Genesis creation story, what does God say as he's getting around to to making us? He says, let us create mankind in our image, in our likeness. And so... Who was he talking to? Through Christ, through, through a God, through Christ, created us to be like him. Now, I don't know that 
if that necessarily means we look like God, I mean, which one of us would look like God? Right? Because we're all very different. I love this congregation, and I love what God is building here, because we are very diverse. We have, if you look at the, the demographics, whether it be racial, whether it be uh, age, it doesn't really matter. I mean, we're a very diverse group of people, as I think God would want his church to be. So I don't know that I would say any one of us in particular looks like God physically, and I don't think that was the intent. But I think God created us to have very similar qualities, the important inner qualities, whether it be, you know, our, our hearts, our morals, our values, our priorities. I mean, God wants us to be linked and in sync with him in these important areas. But that didn't work out too well, did it? As we know. Because you look in the, the story of the Garden of Eden, right? What happened there? Darkness entered the world. I mean, literally, the world was going to hell in a handbasket, you might say. I mean, it was, you know, at that point, it was like, great, you know, everything that seemed so wonderful is now destined for failure, but it wasn't. Thank goodness it didn't end there. Because, again, God, being able to see ahead, knew that it was going to be a problem, had a plan for that. Look down at verse 9. The true light that gives Light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Not, not only were we created initially, but we were recreated to be connected with him through Christ. That was part of the plan. That's your conversion to Christ. That's your recreation. And this is why we strive for the likeness of Christ, which is really striving for that, for that being in Christ. That's your salvation. Read on a bit more in verse 14. The Word became flesh and made its dwelling, his dwelling or his home among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, We've all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who God, who is himself God, is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. To me, this is probably the most important part of the story. It's, it's a crucial part of the story. It's, it's, the, it's the humanity of God as seen through Christ. God wants us to know who he is. God wants us in that closest relationship. You can't be close to somebody that you don't relate to, that you don't connect with. And so God was determined, I am going to connect with you one way or another. And the way that he does that is by sending Jesus to earth. Literally, it is God with us. This, to me, is an amazing understanding. The, the, the full-on wisdom and, and, and being of God, everything that God is, 
coming to earth to sit with sinners like us. Who does that? Our God does that. This makes the whole thing real. I mean, God, God in His perfection collides with this sinful world. And there's Jesus right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of that battle. With all the temptation. And all the human weaknesses that we have. And, and, and what does He do? He stares it down. And He's victorious through it. He says, I struggle just like you do, but you know what? God has given me a victory. And it's as though, as though through the Word, Jesus is saying to us, through that Word, through that wisdom and that fullness and that very nature of God, it's screaming out, you can too. I've done it. I've been there. I know how you feel. And I'm going to fill your heart with grace on top of grace, on top of grace, on top of grace, on top of grace, multiplied a hundred times. I'm going to consistently be with you with this. And more truth than you could ever possibly imagine. You will never have to doubt a day in your life that when you read something in the Word, man, this is God speaking. I will give you that grace. I will give you that truth. I will give you that confidence. I will take away your doubts. And with all that, and with all this going for you, which is a lot, Jesus says, together, we'll get through this. And not just get through it, but I'll take you way beyond it. And I imagine Jesus saying, remember, I helped create you. I was there at the beginning. I not only know God, but I am God. And I promise you that I will forever take care of you. You have my word. Amen. Today, can you guys hear me? There we go. Awesome service. Let's give it up for everybody who participated in the worship, who preached, who spoke. It was a great time to be together. So I have a few announcements. Um, 